Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. Hey friends, it is great to be with you today as we pick up in our series around the rule of life. And if you haven't already joined the conversation that began last week with Bill, um, I really want to strongly encourage you to have a look, have a listen, watch what Bill was doing. It was a beautiful sermon inviting us into a way of thinking about prayer as a conversational friendship with God. And as we learn to settle into this regular, consistent time of prayer, then we're able to grow in relationship, in ease, in the presence of God. And sometimes that might be like the secure, quiet, full silence of two friends who are at peace in one another's quiet presence. Sometimes that might be talking, just like I'm talking now, just like two friends talking simply and casually. Sometimes that might be asking or crying out or interceding. And I just want to remind you that prayer is the full experience. It's the place to learn to be human in relationship with God. And that's the invitation, and it's so worthwhile. Um, But it has to begin simply by setting out time and making it a priority. The only surefire way not to grow in prayer is not to do it. Let me just say that again. The only way to not grow in prayer is to not do it. So we show up over and over again, five minutes, 10 minutes, and those moments become anchors that support a life with God. And I'm emphasizing this today because you will find as you go on this journey of the rule of life, as we talk through the practices, the rules, the disciplines, really all of this begin and end in prayer. You can't separate a reading of scripture and prayer or silence and solitude and prayer or fasting and prayer or whatever else. Prayer is home base. It is the process of training ourselves into the practice of being present with God. And it's also the purpose, learning to abide with Jesus, to be at home with God wherever and whenever we are. Today we get to explore scripture and why this is an essential part of our rule of life, why this is foundational for our lives as disciples of Jesus. And to read scripture apart from prayer or apart from praying the scriptures is to miss a big part, the purpose of why we engage this beautiful and profound text that we call the Bible. Because fundamentally, we don't read the Bible at least merely for information. Yes, we do at times. Yes, information is a part of it. But it's not just about Christian facts or even moral truths. We read, we study, we pray, we wrestle with and soak in scriptures to let the living word of God be made alive in us. And this is the heart of Psalm 1, which is the first text that we're going to read today. Feel free to turn to it now. We'll be jumping around a little bit, reading a few different passages as we kind of sketch out what it means to be people of the word, people of this scripture. But would you just turn to Psalm 1 now? And Holy Spirit, would you just be with us as we open your word, even in our homes now? (sighs) Would you just set us at ease? Would you let us hear fresh from your word? Maybe something we've heard a thousand times. Would you bring fresh hearing to it and make this um, morning, this time, this scripture um, at home in us? Thank you. Amen. Amen. So Psalm 1, you probably heard this before. 
It's one of those psalms that has been a part of my own prayer life consistently for years. Blessed is the one who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the pathway of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is on the law of the Lord, and on his law, his instruction, right, his teaching, his story, he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. Something happens when we immerse ourselves deeply in Scripture. And this is what this image is sharing. We create a source of life and nourishment that is abundantly capable of not yet, not only yielding fruit in its season, but also not succumbing to the difficulty of heat or bad weather. We might say pain and suffering. And then the psalmist kind of at the end of this ditches the metaphor and says, just so you know what I mean, whatever this person does, now having meditated day and night on the words of God, this type of person, they'll prosper. Now don't hear that wrong and don't misunderstand what the psalmist is saying. This is not a formula that if you do this, life will go easy. It's not saying read your Bible and everything will be okay. Not at all. In fact, It's probably the opposite. Prospering doesn't mean I can go to get stock advice or clear business advice or tell me how to handle social media, etc. That's not what this book is. It's not what scripture is intended for. But it can ground your life in a story and train your hearing of God's voice and make you someone who will be firmly planted by streams of water. He is saying planting your life in the word and words of God will produce the type of life that will prosper even in hardship, even in suffering. It won't wither. It almost is a redefinition of what prosper means. And we don't want to just be walking encyclopedias of biblical facts. We want to be people of the word, people who have soaked so long in the words of Jesus, so long in the story of scripture that it has become the very compass, our way of being in the world. We have learned to hear the voice of God so well in these pages and in our quiet listening that when we get into the noise of our lives and the noise of the world, we have trained ourselves to hear the still and quiet voice of God that cuts gently through it all. But I got to say, this isn't a given. You see what I'm getting at is that it is possible to read this book, even the psalmist. It's possible to read scripture, but not be firmly planted by streams of living waters. It's clear that you can read it and study it and even be familiar with it. There are plenty of scholars who don't believe in its truth and don't give themselves over, but they know it. But it's under their control and they read it and are left unchanged by it. In our reading, in that type of reading, we refuse to let it shape us. And this is what Jesus is getting at when he is debating with some of the religious leaders of his day. You see, Jesus has healed a man on the Sabbath and the Pharisees were questioning Jesus after this act of compassion and power. And they were asking him, where is your authority? Who are you that you can do these things? And Jesus says to them, The Father who has sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice nor seen his form, nor does his word 
dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. You study the scriptures diligently because you think in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. This is not a formula. These were the religious scholars of the day. And Jesus says, you think that you can find life in them? Well, the only reason those have life to begin with, the only reason those have authority to begin with is because my Father has authority. This word, these words, this scripture has life in it because it has me. It points to me. And if it testifies to me, then it is overflowing with abundant life. Just as you can be overflowing with abundant life. You see, the the Bible is filled with thousands of little stories that work together to tell one single story. It's a library of books from dozens of authors written over a thousand years by people who were in covenant relationship with God and in their masterful, masterful writing. And by the grace and inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Scripture weaves together a single story telling us about this good and faithful God who is unrelenting in His commitment to reading and redeem, sorry, to redeeming the world. And it's this story that finds its fulfillment in Jesus. And we believe these words. We believe they're full of God's goodness. They have wisdom for us that they lead us to encountering Jesus, not just in the text, but as a real person who longs to know us and be known by us. But again, it seems we can read the Bible and yet keep it at arm's length, close enough maybe to feel saved, whatever that means, (laughs) and maybe on this side of being right, on this side of orthodoxy, close enough to perk me up with pithy sayings. Um, Or, that's one option, or... We can let the word of God, the words of God, be a sword that helps prune me, the scalpel that cuts away the fruitless parts of myself that need to die. Scripture can become the instrument that tunes my ears to the voice of God and then grounds my life in a story bigger than my own, but one that graciously honors my story and gathers it into something worthwhile and for the sake of others. Can I also add that, just talking about ways that we read Scripture, we can't read Scripture just to win arguments. Or we can't hear Scripture for other people, just for other people, right? As a pastor, as a teacher, it's super easy to, to, to read books about theology and about Scripture and read the Scripture themselves for the sake of teaching. But I don't want to read Scripture for the sake of teaching. I want to read Scripture to hear the voice of God to find that conversational friendship, to see a mirror of myself in the life and ministry of Jesus. But we do that. Maybe you can think of someone, maybe you are the type of person who always has the perfect verse when something's needed or when they need to critique something, but they are never full of grace or compassion. There are some church movements who train their people 
on quoting short snippets of scriptures and never encourage them to learn the whole story, never learn to let the voice of the living God imprint on their soul, and I am as guilty as anyone, and this is a problem, because that way of reading scripture is about being right, but not about becoming righteous. It's about having something to say rather than trusting and entrusting your life to the hands of God who is good and faithful. And this is what Jesus, again, is doing a few chapters later in the book of John. He's having another discussion with those who are asking him questions of people who are around. And he says, the Jews, this is John 10, if you have your Bibles, the Jews who were gathered around him saying, how long will you keep us in suspense if you are Messiah? Tell us plainly. Right? They're wanting to take away the tension. We don't want to be We want to know the answer. That's what we're doing this for. We're here to know the answer. Tell us. Take the suspense. Take away. Spell it out for us. And Jesus said to them, I did tell you, but you did not trust in me. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen and know my voice. And I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life, life that will last forever, life abundant and overflowing, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them from my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand, and I and the Father are one. The sheep will know his voice. They know my voice and I know them and they follow me. Jesus is calling upon this beautiful image that would be all too familiar to his listeners. You see, when a lamb is born, a shepherd will take the lamb in his arms and he will speak and sing to this newborn. And the voice of this singing shepherd becomes imprinted in the ears of the lamb. So as the lamb grows and the flocks go out and graze and they mingle and they mix with other flocks and with other shepherds, but it's time to leave, all the shepherd needs to do is call them. And this voice is so ingrained in them that they will follow him, trusting their shepherd who cares for them and has their best interest in mind. My sheep know my voice. I know them and they follow me. Each day we are inundated with a thousand voices, each one of us being beckoned, calling us to trust them, believe them, follow them, claiming that they have the answers, the way out, that they have the best way to live, the happiest self that we can have. They have real truth. So we have to ask ourselves in the midst of this conversation around Scripture, whose voice is imprinted in your bones? Whose voice do we hear and without a single thought we get up and respond? Do we get up and agree with? Do we support regardless of where they lead us? Who do we offer our allegiances to? And so we're living in a time where more than ever in this ocean of noise and voices, the church needs to be filled with men, women, and children who can hear through all the voices and say, do you hear that? Through all the loud cacophony of sound and hear the singing shepherd, the gentle voice. Wait, I know that voice. I'm following him. 
And I had this, I had this thought that what if over the next 11 weeks left in our series, what if we didn't waste time in the indulgence of just amusing ourselves to death with whatever you do, Netflix, social media, whatever it is, whatever way that you give yourself over and say, yes, I'm just gonna do it. Whatever inputs you allow your life to be filled with, Netflix, news, whatever it is. What if we proved at the end of this 11 weeks that we were less susceptible to the influence of marketing and advertisements and news cycles because we were so attuned to the voice of God? We knew the shepherd's voice so well. What a beautiful experiment we could do over these next 11 weeks. But this won't happen if we spend more time imprinting ourselves with the voices of newsacres, political pundits, celebrities, influencers, business gurus, or whoever else, even good other voices. And this is difficult for me because I, if you've been, spent any time with me, you know that I love words, I love reading, I love new books, I love things. And I found myself a handful of years ago when I was working in an office with some dear friends, that over the time, they would start laughing at me because they, they had this little, this way of talking about me that they would say, anytime we ask Brian a simple question, he gives us two books to read, right? <laughs> and it's, I laughed and I thought it was hilarious, but I realized the indictment because as someone who loves to read theology, philosophy, poetry, novels, whatever it is, I just like reading, I like information, I like facts, I like things like that. I found that more and more, it wasn't Jesus whose words came to me. It was this psychologist, this best-selling author, this person here, this author, this, you know, whatever, whoever the sexy new artist or the, what, whatever it is, that's who I would be quoting, right? This poet. And I, I was kind of disheartened because I realized that's not the first place I should be going. And I committed to myself intentionally soaking to long and regular readings of the Gospels. And I remember after about a year, the day it hit me, that I was just in regular conversations with people. And it wasn't best-selling authors that I was quoting. It was the parables of Jesus that became real to me in my daily life. You know, they became so real, the words. I remember the Sermon on the Mount became the lens through which I saw the world. And I was, it was a tiny win, very small. And it took way too long for someone my, in my profession and in the gift of the training and the education that I've had to get there. But it was such a beautiful reminder that I wanted His voice, Jesus' voice, those words, my Savior, my Lord, my friend, they have to be first for me. And so those of us who follow Jesus, we seek to be in relationship with Him. And we come to our reading of Scripture to extend our capacity to hear the voice of God who speaks through the Word. And in doing so, we become familiar with how He has spoken to people in various times and places. And then we learn the ways that people have responded when God speaks. And as we learn to hear, we learn to respond with yes, to grow in obedience, to learn to align our lives to God's story, to make this the primary story that we live out of, to let the very life of Jesus grow in us for our sakes and for the sake of the world. So I want to suggest to you that there are two poles, that two ways of reading Scripture that align us and ground us in the reality of this story. This is the long 
storied reading of Scripture, the story of God's commitment to redeem the world through Jesus, and the short, slow, formational reading that trains our ears to hear the voice of God and how to respond to the Word in us. At various points and at different seasons of your life, perhaps these rhythms might shift and you might focus on one here in this time and one here on the other, but they are both necessary for us to hear and learn how God speaks in us and through us and through the pages of Scripture. We have to learn the story. We have to saturate in it and remember it so that when we bump up against the countless other stories that will try to stake out our places in our hearts and imaginations, we can say that it's not our story. How do you think Jesus grew to know what it would mean for him to be the Son of God in the world? When Jesus spoke and talked about the kingdom of God coming in him, in his words, the words that he used to define his own ministry were the words of the prophets, the words of the Psalms, the words of scripture. It's how he learned who he was in the world. I think we forget that. As Luke says, he grew in wisdom and stature and grew in favor in both God's eyes and in man's eyes. Jesus didn't come out of the womb this brilliant teacher, knowing everything. He was fully human and he knew the story of Scripture so well and it was in his bones so much that he began to imagine and see how his father would be leading him to fulfill his life and his calling as the Son of God. And I want to say, if Jesus needed it, maybe it'd be good for us. Maybe we should try a little bit. But this is why we read together uh, when we get together, this is why we gather in worship and we read scripture. We read to retell the story, to grow our imagination for how this story will play out in our community life. And if you grew up in a more traditional or let's say liturgical church, you'll know that this is why each week in worship they read something from the Old Testament, something from the Psalms, and something from the New Testament. These become like anchors of the entire story. So yes, I'm reading something from Genesis, but I'm reminding you of creation. And I'm reading something from the Psalms and I'm reminding you of the kings and of the prayers and of the cries of the prophets. And as I come to the New Testament, I'm reminded, being reminded of the fulfillment of this kingdom in the person of Jesus. They don't just do that to keep certain people happy. It's because it's like reading this aloud as, as we come together in scripture. It's like movements of a symphony. They become just like these little melodies that remind us as the story goes on that there's a much bigger story that we're a part of. So to grow in the long read of Scripture, we have to learn to take it in large chunks like you would read a novel. That might involve leaning on other sources to fill in the gaps for you when you hit hard parts of the Bible that are confusing or feel foreign. But you, ha you don't have to begin with Leviticus. Begin with Mark. Begin with the Gospels, and instead of just reading a few verses, read the whole book in a single sitting and see how the story comes alive. See how you notice a thousand things that you would miss if you broke it up day by day over a few months. I remember that I had this moment a few years ago where I heard this story about Dallas Willard being asked, and I'm sure you've all heard it, but Dallas Willard was asked if he could describe Jesus in a single word, what would he say? And he said, after taking a pause for a moment, as Willard always did, he would just say, relaxed. 
And I remember hearing that. I've never heard someone describe Jesus as relaxed. And I, I, I thought about that as I went into this long reading plan I did where we read through the Gospels multiple times over the course of a few months as a church. And I remember trying to track that emotion of Jesus or that, that, the quality of Jesus' character. Try reading Matthew with that in mind. Jesus is a person who is relaxed or funny or friendly, right, or smart. Try to imagine the humanity of Jesus and we get into the story of Scripture. We do this, then slowly it gets into our bones and it becomes more and more real to us. And this is a beautiful reality. If you do feel stirred this season, maybe by personality, maybe by calling, um, you feel this longing right now to grow and study, to really dive in. Well, there are so many wonderful resources that we have that are just out. The Bible Project is the best resource on, honestly, if you, it's a seminary education most of the time. It's so brilliant, but it's so accessible. You, have, you don't have to have a Bible training class. You don't have to have any background. You can watch the Bible Project. You can, honestly, on our website, go to our website. We have a, a How to Read the Bible series. It's a simple thing. We use the Bible Project videos with a series of questions to track what you're learning and what you what you're experiencing as you do this, how it's opening your eyes. That's a very simple way to be grounded in your growing knowledge of what does it mean to be a part of this story of God. And I have to tell you, the more that I've done that in my life, the more that I've engaged this long reading and used resources like the Bible Project, the more beautiful and brilliant I have come to know Jesus to be. It's not just about information. It's about learning about the person and the story that Jesus comes out of. And every nuance of the Gospels comes alive as I open up just a little bit more about, okay, why is he saying that? What's his relationship with the fairies, with the Pharisees, not fairies, <laughs> different book, uh, Pharisees. <laughs> Michael's going to kill me. Uh, Pharisees, not fairies. I'm just going to say that. Um, Man, I don't even know where to go from there. But in the context of this growing understanding of the story of God, then we come to this much more common and much more um, honestly practical way of reading, this short reading. Honestly, in the next 11 weeks, this might be the most influential thing you do is to come to Scripture in a very slow, meditative, reflective an opening way. Maybe you've never done that before. Maybe you've never had the freedom to meditate on Scripture. Let me tell you, it's something that people have been doing with Scripture since they were written. You stewed on it. The word, the, the word is actually to like gnaw on it like a bone, right? That's what you do when you meditate. You turn it over and you reflect and you open yourself to being shaped and formed by it. And so there's some very practical ways. I always begin, if you're, if you're stepping into this for the first time, I always recommend starting in the Gospels. Regardless of what series we're in as a church or what I'm studying, I'm always, for my own personal devotion, I'm always reading a psalm and going through the Gospels, little by little, soaking in the life of Jesus. And it's really practical. If you've never done this before, here's just a simple frame. What I usually do is I just read a short, a short section of Scripture and I read through it and then I go back and find a smaller passage, maybe a couple verses, and it might just be like five or ten minutes and honestly, sometimes I just set an alarm. 
so that if my anxious wandering, I don't have to wonder what time it will be. I know that this will go off when 10 minutes is up and then I'll have to fight my attention, poor attention span. But then you begin to read the section slowly, trying to be really attentive to each sentence, noticing where I find myself being drawn, a word or a phrase perhaps. Usually I'll read that passage, that short little passage several times and I'll close my eyes and I'll come to stillness and I'll begin to ask, God, what are you trying to say to me here? And if my mind wanders, I come back to the text. I often, my mind will just wander to some other thought. I got to do this later. And I come back to the text and I reread the passage and I ask again and I regather my attention. The goal here is not information. It's not even new insight. It's encounter with God. It's training yourself that God is a God who is speaking to us constantly and it's learning how He speaks. Sometimes you will hear nothing and those words are enough as they are and being in present with God is enough. That silence will be enough, but other times His word will jump off the page and it will be so clear what He is saying and as you hear the word, you can wrestle with it and what it means for you and in your life, see how you were called to respond. Train yourself in what does it mean as I hear God to respond to what He's asking. It's really simple. The point is not to muster the most life-changing, powerful experience, but to make room each day for you to encounter the living God, to make room for you to, to hear Him speak. And as you learn how He speaks, let His voice be the deep, large, more largely imprinted voice in your body, in your mind, in your heart that it begins to saturate the rest of your day, more attuned and more attentive to God who is always with you and always speaking. This is kind of a simple uh, version of the practice called Lectio Divina uh, that you can find on our website. If you want a very simple and step-by-step -step guide, because for you this feels so crazy and foreign, go on our website. There is so many great small practices. Again, it's not about techniques. None of these things are about techniques. Prayer is about encountering the living God in love. The techniques are honestly mostly about learning to be attentive, learning to slow down, learning to quiet. Most of the, the reading techniques or prayer practices that we do, uh, it's not magic. It's not formula. It's actually just about centering, slowing, being present, learning to not be so frenetic and, and crazy, which is most of us, it's really, really hard. And the last, the last simple one that I really want to encourage you to do um, before we close today is um, just reading the Psalms. And more, uh, more accurately, praying the Psalms. Um, you, you'll notice if you've ever had Jewish friends or um, people who talk about Torah from a Jewish perspective, they'll, they'll say that they read Torah they read the you know, first five books of the Bible, the law and the prophets, but they pray the Psalms. They don't say they read the Psalms because inherently in the Jewish mindset, you pray the Psalms. They are formational prayer language training. As you come to know the Psalms, you come to realize, yes, there is stuff we learn about God in the Psalms. Absolutely. The heart of the Psalm is crying out for the goodness of God in the midst of despair. But just as much, they actually train us in what it means to be human. What does it mean to be someone in despair and yet fully trust and depend on the goodness of God to show up? Right? Every morning before my head gets off the pillow, as soon as I come awake, I close my eyes, I take a deep breath, 
It doesn't take long. And I just recite Psalm 23. And sometimes it's a few times, sometimes it's one time, sometimes my kids are shaking me awake. But my day radically is shaped by those words, and it has been for a few years. And you can imagine in the, the highest stresses, frustrations, disappointments, griefs, loss, the things that have come to me have far less been profanity and anger and, um, and whatever else you want to imagine. More often than not, because of that simple practice, it's so simple, yet it's slowly been worked into my bones. And now I, I find myself in the hardest moments saying, God, you don't withhold anything from me. You are my good shepherd. I lack nothing if you are with me. And what we do is we come to find the slow and daily working. It's just home base. And it trains our attention and our mind. And I just want to say, if you are more interested in exploring any of these things, we, the website's a great spot for it. So how do we respond to this today? I think the response, honestly, is pretty simple. I think we need to ask two things. I think we need to ask, what are the voices that have been imprinted on us? They might be the voices of inner criticism or self-content. They might be the voices from the past that have declared things over you, a story about you, um, who you are, and what you will or won't accomplish, who you will always be, or who you'll never be. And those are the voices that echo in your head. They're imprinted. They're triggering. They can call you or bring you to tears faster than anything. And if that's the imprinted voice, man, I'm sorry. I, I, personally, I know what that's like. Even at 35, I hear the voices of the people who for years, you know, in teenage youth, <laughs> I didn't think I would share this, who in my teenage years, in the, some of the hardest years of my life, did nothing but made me feel ugly, unloved, and unlovable. And at 35, with kids of my own, sometimes the voices I hear when I get in low moments are those voices, and I need to let Jesus imprint his voice deeper and cut through it. No, 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 you are loved and you are lovable. You are loved and you are lovable. I am with you. I love you. I think some of you need to respond to that. Just want to let the words of Jesus take deeper heart in you and stake a claim for who you are and your identity. Um, for some people, I think the imprinted voices are external. They're the voices of um, political leaders or, you know, whoever your tribe is, your group is, your hub of people are, um, and they have more power than they need to have in your life. Because when they say jump, you say how high. Or when they say this is the next thing, you say, yeah, that's it. And I really want to encourage you to ask if that's you. Who have I put on the throne? Who have I given a deeper voice than I need to? And how can I begin through practice through regular meditation, through prayer, through scripture right now, can I begin to retrain myself to hear the voice of God, the voice of our Good Shepherd, in the midst of those loud and so often just unimaginable voices. Uh, and finally, um, just very practically, 
we need to respond where it is you feel stirred through these two responses. Um, some of you will feel drawn right now to this long reading. You have been a Christian for a while and you are desperate to know the story of Scripture. And I want to invite you into that. Um, but be practical. Write down. Make a commitment. Some of you have never opened yourself to the slow, unhurried, meditative way of reading and you need to let the Good Shepherd remind you of His voice each day. But don't just leave it at that. Commit to something. Make a plan. Five minutes is all it is. This whole season is about us exploring what God is inviting us into and experimenting with what works and doesn't work with our season of life, our personality, whatever the things that make us who we are, and inviting Jesus to be the loudest voice in that mix. So it's so good to be with you today, friends. As you take time, I pray, I, I just really want to encourage you to take time to write something down right now. Take out your phone, reflect, ask God whose voice is imprinted too deeply on my heart and you want to replace it. And ask God, how can I respond to retrain to hear your voice first? Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church.